Welcome to this podcast from the Food and Drink Federation Scotland. This is one of our Behind the Business podcasts, where we seek to understand a little bit more about what goes on behind some of Scotland's great food and drink businesses. My name is David Thompson, and I'm the CEO of FDF Scotland. FDF Scotland is an industry-funded trade association representing food and drink businesses of all sizes, from Scottish family businesses through to global brands. We're a division of the UK Trade Association, the Food and Drink Federation. In this podcast, I'm talking to Gary Stevenson, who is Director for Global, External and Regulatory Affairs at Devril Scotland and Chair of FDF Scotland to find out more about Devril, including the different careers involved. Gary, thanks for joining us. Hi there, David. Uh, it's, it's, it's good to be with you. Great. Um, so uh, let's get started. Can you tell us a bit about who Devro is, um, the history of your business and, and where you're based uh, in Scotland and around the globe? Yeah, it's a sort of interesting history, I think, in that um, Devro was started as an innovation project in Johnson & Johnson who had previously been looking at collagen sutures and somebody had the idea of, you know, can we make a tube out of collagen? This was back in the 1950s. So they, they built a plant outside of uh, Glasgow in uh, Moodysburn, and that's where they started manufacturing sausage casings um, to export wherever sausages are made. Now, in 1979, they decided business was going so well that they built a plant in Australia which is very much a copy of the building in, in Moodysburn. This is in a place called Bathurst, which is just west of Sydney. And they basically sent a lot of Scots out there to build and run the plant, and most of them stayed there. Um, the business then continued to grow um, until there was a management buyout from Johnson & Johnson. And, and the name Devro comes from Development and Research Organization. Uh, so that's the origin of the name. Um, so the business continued to grow until 1996 when uh, the business bought a company called TPAC, who were making uh, casings in a slightly different way in the Czech Republic and the US. Um, so that expanded the portfolio of, of products we make and the countries in which we do business. And then more recently, they acquired a collagen gel maker in the Netherlands, and we built a factory in 2016 in China sort of completing our current production uh, portfolio. We have um, manufacturing sites in Scotland, uh, in the Netherlands, the Czech Republic, in the US, in Australia, and in China. And we make a you know range of collagen casings um, around the world for different types of meats and sausages. We also have a number of offices dotted around uh, the world. So, uh, we have an office in London, uh, Tokyo, Hong Kong, um, in Moscow, and in Miami, and uh, some smaller offices elsewhere. Thanks, Gary. I don't think even I'd realised how much global domination the Devro has with those uh, offices all, all around the world. So, uh, and all built out of you know humble casings for sausages. So, um, can you tell us more about those? What types of sausage do you use, and and how are they supplied around the world? Um, you know, who do you supply them to? Yeah, just to be clear, it's it's not just sausages. We make um, casings and we make some collagen film for wrapping of hams and cheeses and some confectionery. But most of our business is collagen cases for to make sausages. I mean, basically anywhere that eats a sausage we can sell a product to them. Um, and the, you know, the sausage is actually a, a very useful way of taking 
if you like, ingredients and adding value to those by creating a unit of consumption, which you like is the sausage, to make a, a quality product. The, the casings themselves are made from collagen, which is largely extracted from the skins of, of cattle, uh, but also uh, we have some, some porcine collagen as well. And what we do is we, we extract that collagen to form a gel. We extrude it into a tube. That then becomes hardened and dried and you can add colors to it. And the real advantage is that you can make sausage skin of any length you like, of any diameter, and that helps with uh, sausage producers in that there's more flexibility in their production. It improves their line speeds, their plant efficiencies, and really you can produce any size casing for whatever size sausage that is being made. You know, we, we sell sausage casings around the world, so in more than 100 different markets. That's across Europe, Americas, Asia, Africa, Australasia. But our biggest markets are the UK, EU, US, China, Japan, Russia, and Thailand, each of which have their own particular version of a sausage. We make, to put it into perspective, we make some 3 billion meters of sausage casings a year, which apparently is enough to go uh, from the earth around the moon back to the earth and around the earth a couple of times so that is three billion meters of sausages consumed around the world which we're part of we're not the only sausage casing producer there are there are others around the world as well but you know we have a presence on every single continent so gary that kind of global reach of sausages is and in fact more uh, than a global reach if uh, it goes to the moon and around the world a couple of times must be interesting for your job as director for global external and regulatory affairs can you tell us a little bit about your role my role with endeavor is is to make sure that what we make is safe that it complies with the regulations and to monitor issues that could potentially impact our business now just on safety it's to make sure that the ingredients we use are safe and suitable for food use and the way that we make the product is safe for food Food safety obviously is the most important part of any food manufacturer's business. The second key part is regulatory, and this is to make sure that we comply with all the local manufacturing regulations in the places that we actually make casing, but also we comply with the regulations in the markets in which we sell our product. Now, that's a huge task as we sell in over 100 different markets and uh, trying to understand the regulatory requirements of all of those markets is, is a significant challenge. Uh, the other part of my role is external affairs, which is really looking at things that could impact the business. So, you know, good examples of that are changing regulations, such as the dreaded Brexit, attitudes and issues such as environmental challenges, which are increasingly facing the food industry business, and diseases such as you know, animal diseases and, and human diseases. And finally, I've got a role in business continuity, which is to make sure that our plants are ready should anything untowards happen with those facilities to help them to deal with those. That's a wide-ranging role, Gary. Um, what do you like most about it? What I like most about my job is, is the involvement in science. Um, I've, I've always enjoyed science and looking for a job that includes that a part of your assessment is uh, a part of your role is, is I think really helpful. I also enjoy representing the business outside. Um, I think 
engagement with people outside of your organization is a very rewarding part of the job. And problem solving is is probably the, the, the third element that I like to have problems that require so there's, there's nothing like solving a problem for making you feel good. Indeed, indeed, that's right. But there must be parts of the job that you don't enjoy quite so much. What's that for you? There's probably one that stands out amongst all other, and that's frustration with inertia and lack of vision or willingness to change. I think in the way, in the words of you know David Walliams, you know the computer says no is is probably one of the biggest frustrations of this job in regard to regulations. I'll maybe give you an example of it in, in that when I first started in the business, we'd been waiting 18 months to get a veterinary certificate from the EU. And I did some investigating to try and find out what was causing this and, you know, talking to the UK and then to the EU and neither was talking to each other and we weren't getting anywhere. So I basically just took the initiative and, and, and started talking to each of them, connecting the, the dots, finding out where the issues were, where the bottlenecks were. And uh, eventually got a meeting with the uh, the head of the, the body responsible for certificates. And we agreed a way forward. So we eventually got our certificate and we can now get them within about a day or two, as opposed to 18 months. So, you know, I would I would say that the biggest frustration is is when people are not willing to change just because that's the way it's always been. Um, and, and that can be very frustrating when, you know, you know there isn't an issue, a safety issue or a you know, or a production issue, but for some reason uh, a body won't let you ship a product to a particular market. Yeah, so very much around that kind of uh, bureaucratic um, deadweight, yeah. which is this is the way we've always done it. Um, which for somebody working in regulatory is, 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 is probably not the best thing to get frustrated by. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. I thought you were going to say Brexit there. You surprised me, Gary. Oh, no, yeah, I'll leave that for another day. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so if anyone wants to listen to our podcast on Gary, Gary talking about Brexit, that, that, that'll be quite a long one, I think. So we've talked a little bit about your role, Gary, and, and what you do for Devro, but obviously Devro's a large international business. So can you tell us a little bit about some of the other key roles within the company? I mean, you know, as, as, as a large global global company you know we have all the roles that any other business um, large business would have so human resources finance IT admin roles uh, health and safety logistics marketing so all those types of roles you would find you know pretty much in any job um, it just happens to be in the food industry the, the other areas is around manufacturing you know we, we're a manufacturer um, and therefore we need engineers we need good engineers uh, to 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 help run and improve our manufacturing equipment, we need people with computer science background to make sure that those systems run well. Uh, they talk to each other. We need people with an environmental science background because of um, you know we have an impact uh, potentially on the environment. We need analytical chemists. You know all these types of uh, technical roles are important to any manufacturer. I think probably what's unique to the food industry is, is that although we need all of those skills, we need some additional ones as well. People with a background in food science, I mean, food science is critical for innovation and development of new products. And then I think specifically for Devro, it also helps to have some experience in meat science or material science. We have a significant group uh, of product development people for research and development people, and then you need commercial people who are familiar with the types of products our casings go into, 
and also people in, in in production who understand you know the type of type of product we're making so you know devro employs all sorts of people in all sorts of roles um there are some specific to the food industry there are others which are uh, you know equally applicable to any other type of industry i think in regards to skills or people's skills we do have some sort of particular challenges and therefore we need to have people who are willing to take on challenges we need people who are interested in continuing to learn and develop in the organization people who are good problem solvers work in a team we need people with inquisitive minds for continuous improvement they need to be good communicators and we have a big challenge in regard to uh, stem skills so those are the science uh, technical engineering and maths types of skills so i probably went a little bit further then <laughs> that's i'll deal with that question <laughs> That's fine. No, and it covers covers what I was going to uh, talk about next. Uh, um, next, and and obviously, you know, Devrel has a wide range of highly skilled jobs, uh, a wide range of jobs where people require to learn and develop. And and you also, I know, have a well-established apprenticeship program that's often recognised as being of a you know of a very high standard. So, can you tell us a little bit about that and why the company feels that it's important to invest in training apprentices? Yeah, I, I, I take no credit for the apprenticeship um, role we've played. There are other individuals who spend a lot of time in investing in that apprenticeship program. And, and they do that because it's an important way of developing people and getting people into the business. You know, we, we do have a challenge sometimes in, in, in areas like engineering in that people who are engineers don't necessarily think about the food industry. You know, they tend to want to think about big shiny objects that fly or go fast rather than machines that can produce, you know, collagen casing at um, how many meters a second. But apprenticeships, I think there's nothing really like learning on the job. You're doing a real meaningful job from day one. You're developing the expertise that the business needs and you're getting paid to learn at the same time. So I think that combination of real work and going to college to learn the bits that we don't necessarily provide on site is a good combination. I don't need to say it, it's not an easy option, you know, and it's not the easiest to get into. I mean, we take the best school leavers that we can get and, and we're giving them a job whilst they're training or training them at the same time. And we choose those individuals who have a good higher qualification or if you're south of the border, an A-level qualification. So we're tending to try and get the, you know, the best candidates we can. So it's not an easy option. But I think for some roles, we need that specific expertise and knowledge. And apprenticeships is probably one of the best ways to develop that skill. So it's really by investing in the future. It allows you to change someone in how we do things. As I say, whilst they're attending college training to do the things we're maybe not so good at training them to. So you come out with a positive experience. Invariably, we will usually end up uh, taking any apprentice on full time. And I think, unfortunately, there's a lack of investment in this type of apprenticeship, which over the years has means that some of the roles have been difficult to attract to the apprenticeships from the labour market, largely because of the push for people to go to colleges and universities. And it's not the best option for everyone. Now, in manufacturing, we need, you know, good engineers are, are in demand. And, you know, sometimes we can't find them. And therefore, the apprenticeship is a good way of getting people in to train those individuals. It sounds great and it sounds like the, the you know the company is managing to find ways to deal with some of the key problems that we often find in the labour market for food and drink uh, around particularly around uh, science, technology, engineering, maths 
and in particular around engineers. So, you know, it sounds like a very proactive thing the business has been doing with the apprenticeship programme. Are there any other things in addition to the apprenticeship programme, any other examples of ways that DevRo developed their workforce? Yeah, well, we're a great believer in developing our people. You know, if you've got good people, you need to invest in the development. You know, it, it helps their morale, it improves their skills, it, it enhances their value and interest in the role, it helps us retain good talent. You know, I mean, d- developing that talent and improving their capability and value to the business is part of being a good employer, uh, in our view. You pick talent up in various parts of the business. And by developing that talent, letting them grow within the business, they may spread elsewhere in the business. And when you're looking at succession planning in the process, it helps to have a a good field of people to to choose from to progress in the business. So, you know, development of people is extremely important. Now, we do that in a number of ways. So there's obviously on the job training, but people are allowed to go off to do training courses. And we also have a uh, an internal Devro Academy, we call it, where we run courses for people to help them to understand what it is we do and how we do it to improve their knowledge of the business. Even if it's in an area where they're not that focused, it helps to have an understanding of how different parts of the business work. That's great. And thinking about yourself now, Gary, now you, I know, have worked in a number of food businesses over over the years. And I'd be really interested if you could say a little bit about that. And, you know, if anyone listening is interested in working either at Devro or in the wider food and drink industry based on your career, what, what advice would you give them? Right. OK, that's a that's a big one. I would say to start with the food industry, it's, it's a great industry to work for. There are so many different roles, you know, as I've mentioned earlier. And it's one of those industries that allows you to diversify once you're in the business. And and just probably just give a brief overview of where I've been. I left university with a PhD in diseases, disease transmission, and was looking around for a job and was offered one with food industry as a toxicologist looking at the safety of food products. So I took that job on over in, in Belgium. Um, worked for that business for some time and then moved over into looking at um, a non-absorbent fat, which is a product that is able to give you the same taste of full-fat food but without any of the calories. Um, that really got me interested in, in sort of food innovation and nutrition. And so I, I moved from sort of product just product safety to looking after nutrition and food safety. Now, that also got me into sort of food technology. So I've I've done things like I developed a soft drink which was able to prevent dental erosion, which was a problem with the acid in in soft drinks. I've worked on developing a fiber supplement which dissolves in drinks. I've worked on uh, nutrients and products to inhibit winter viruses, so so colds. And then I've sort of got involved uh, after that in food regulation because you, you can't really get involved in those areas without at some point switching regulation. So I started off developing knowledge of regulations in the UK and Europe, and then the move to Devro has now made that more global. I also, when I moved to Devro, took on responsibility for quality, which was first exposure to quality. And you use the things that you've developed from the past whilst working with other people who have expertise in the particular area that you're you're looking at. I picked up business continuity and and now also have a sustainability responsibility within the business. 
Now, that's one career that is covering a number of different businesses. So I've, I've worked in all sorts of food categories and healthcare categories. I've worked in soft drinks, in coffee and cake mixes, in snacks, in fats and oils. I've worked on oral care projects. I've worked on healthcare, you know, a whole range of different food products. You always find something in the role that particularly interests you. And that tends to set the direction of, of where you move within the business. You know, my advice to anyone, you know, looking for work and potentially, well, I'll put it another way. If you're looking for a job, do consider the food industry. You know, it's a great place to work. It will always need, we will always need food and the food industry will always need people to produce that food. It's largely recession proof. I mean, if you look at COVID-19 as, as a recent example, feeding our nation is critical. You know, without the food supply and without people making that food, the country would have been a far worse situation than it has been. Now, the other thing to think about, and I've, I've sort of hinted at this, is once you step into the food industry, even if you're in a specialized area, you find that more opportunities will open up and, and take you to you know, new places with new challenges and new roles. And that can either be up a management line or it can be across to another scientific area or technical area. It's an industry that can offer somebody who's willing to pick up new challenges and learn new things to give them the opportunity to develop and grow within the industry. Highly skilled, knowledgeable people are always going to be needed in the food industry. You know, I would say just just find your route in. And once you're in, look at what the possibilities are within that industry. You know, everybody's got ideas. Think them through. Just think about when you're in there, who you need to support, who understands who understands you and who can help you progress within that industry and forge a relationship with people in the industry and just go for it. Brilliant. Just go for it. And and some real themes of adaptability, the adaptability that you, you've shown throughout your career with a wide range of different things you've been involved in and challenge and constantly seeking a challenge. And one thing that I've learned as an observer of the food industry over the past decade or so is that there, there are always challenging and interesting things to get your teeth into. So, uh, yeah, fabulous. The food and drink industry and wider economy, as we just said, are going through some challenging times. Um, what support would you say is needed from governments or other agencies to support the industry and help it to thrive? Dealing with government can often be the most frustrating part of running a business sometimes, but it can also be rewarding depending on, on what you're dealing with. Mostly, for Deborah, we'd like government to keep out of our way you know, remove the barriers and let us get on with what we do well. You know, we don't really need help with most things. We can do most of it ourselves. Where they can help, though, is, is, is understanding the consequences of their actions, um, you know, especially around health and environment. I'm a big believer in evidence-based policy. We need to understand what the consequences are of policy decisions and, and, and do they achieve the end result rather than people believing, you know, where's the evidence that they help with that? I think we need to fully understand what the actions are that are actually needed to help improve people's health and help improve the, the impact on the environment before we start making policies. So I, I think that's probably my biggest challenge to governments is make sure you've got evidence-based policies and actually listen to the industry because we often know how to do things. So where can they help? I think as a business that is very focused on exports, I mean, half of what we make in Scotland gets exported. I think for those who are stepping into that type of export market, they need help 
in those markets. So they need people on the ground who have expertise to help. I think the government could also look to find those medium-sized companies that are ready for exporting, but probably haven't made that step to help them to do that. And, and that will help the economy of, of, of the country. I think there's there's a need for supporting development businesses where they lack the expertise, you know, and, and I think if you look at some other countries like Ireland's Border Beer, they actually really do help their food industry. You know, they support their business overseas. There is some of that happening. I mean, Scotland doing a better job on that than, than the rest of the UK with its Scotland food and drink. But I think there's more that can be done. I think looking more at home, support for green innovation is going to be critical looking forward. And that's going to be around uh, energy generation and energy use efficiencies. That whole environmental gender about carbon, is it, we're going to need help there. I think there needs to be help with the infrastructure and some of the key areas that have been tested during COVID, for example, have been high-speed internet capability, something we've just been discussing before this meeting. And then, you know, road and rail connectivity is also going to be important for getting product to market. I think um, something else they could do is, is take people from industry to help develop their services, you know, listen to those who are going to use it rather than impose something on them. And I think probably the biggest way they could help is is to adopt an attitude of how can I help mentality rather than a what do you want mentality. And, you know, I do see that more with the Scottish government. There tends to be much more of a, you know, how can we help you? Because that's, you know, the food industry is much more important to the Scottish economy. And, and I like to see that, you know, I mean, that shows a partnership. There are some very good parts. Um, you know, I, I've had some very good experiences with DEFRA's Export Health Certificate Agency and staff. Not everybody says that, but, you know, I found them extremely useful in helping us export our product, you know, around the world. And it's one of those areas where if you're a manufacturer of, of, of animal products, you need to have that support on the export health certificates for those products to be able to get into those markets. And they've been very responsive in, in that regard. And again, that just shows the um, discussion of so many different things where, where government and agencies interact with the food industry on a wide range of policies just shows the kind of uh, breadth of interesting areas that um, being in a food company gets you involved in. So uh, um, and that's great. So looking to the future, what's next for Devro? Um, what opportunities and challenges do you see, Gary, ahead for the business and, and for the wider industry? This is a difficult word to start. It's that crystal ball, isn't it? And, and, and how do you see beyond the current COVID-19 challenges or Brexit? I think, you know, we operate in a challenging global market. Um, we do something very narrow, but we do it very well. There aren't that many companies in the UK that, that operate like that. In that, you know, what we do, let's say, extremely well is we we, we just make collagen casing, but we do them very well and we do them globally. A lot of other businesses are involved in more things than that. The economy would benefit having more businesses like that. Germany is very good at this type of thing. I think the other the other areas looking forward, you know, we face challenges in all sorts of things. So um, disease is, is an important one for anybody in the in the animal production industry, the environment and Brexit. So, you know, if I just look at diseases, for example, long before COVID, there was there's something called African swine fever which has completely decimated Chinese pig production. Now, China produces about 50% of the world's pork, and the African swine fever is still out there. 
China had a significant impact on its pig population. This disease kills pigs. And therefore, China was buying animal protein globally. So, so what we're seeing is an influence, an economic influence, as a result of China having an impact globally. So China is buying up animal proteins all over the world. So th there's an example of a disease that can seriously disrupt the normal functioning of the global market. And animal diseases are always cropping up. Um, you know, you think about avian swine flu, for example, uh, another example of a disease that wipes out poultry herds. So I, I think for DEVRA working in the animal products industry, animal diseases are always going to be an important part of what we do. I think probably looking also ahead, the environment is going to be a huge challenge for the industry. And, and you know, I think most of the food industry is up for that challenge, but we need some help. You know, how do we feed a growing population with the resources that we have? And how do we protect on a global basis those prime environments that remain in the world? And, and how do we keep them safe and keep them protected? How do we help halt global warming? Sustainable energy is going to be a key, not just for the food industry, but for, for all manufacturing industries. So there needs to be a real focus on how do we develop more sustainable energy capability? Because that is going to be one of the keys for keeping global warming down. I think more closer to home, you know, Brexit for a company like ours, uh, all it means is extra complexity and cost that, you know, we're already a global company. There are no, no more opportunities out there that we're not already exploiting. You know, however, with a, with a sort of global footprint, you know, we're able to manage that, whereas other companies, you know, may struggle a little bit if they haven't got that global reach to be able to move products to different parts uh, of the market. Within the developing economies, the developed economies, um, where labor is increasingly scarce and costly compared to other markets, I think automation is going to have to be a big factor. So all of those tasks which are heavily labor dependent will eventually disappear or, or, or the industry may no, no longer be efficient enough to, to operate. So that's another area. I think innovate, innovation is, a, is another key area for the future. You know, for the food industry whole, you know, obviously not just just Devro. You know, we're experts in adding value to our customers by helping them portion their products in a way that consumers enjoy. I think we can do more in this area. You know, the moment we're focused on sausage casing, but actually, if you think about what we do, is you know, we we portion products into easily consumable um, units, which which people can enjoy. Uh, we may be able to do things in other areas that are similar. We're also experts in making thin films from biological sources that are renewable and degradable. I think there may well be some opportunities there as well as, as focus comes on things like plastics, etc. Maybe there is a, a further role for us there in development of uh, renewable, degradable film. So there's, there's, there's lots in the future. I mean, I don't have a crystal ball, but it'd be interesting to see you know, what the future holds. It'll certainly hold some challenges. Indeed, and that's a, a wide range of different things that are there, both for Devro and for the industry as a whole. You know, it's all these uh, challenges, and you know, you pull out one of the things you said that is the challenge of feeding the world is really one of the key things that I see is really important for young people coming into the food industry, learning those STEM subjects, working in the, the industry to help to understand how we're going to feed the, the growing population of the world uh, in the coming year. That's probably an important point for the future as well. Is People we employed yesterday are the different are different from the people we employed today, which are going to be different from the people in the future. And, and I think we have a generation who are much more aware of you know the impact that we have on the planet and and the need to do something about it. I think there is increasing concern about how people are treated around the world. You know, so I think the way that, that businesses treat their people 
more importantly, the people in their supply chain is going to be important as well, because that is likely to be one of the influencing factors in, in why people would want to come and work for you. Absolutely. Well, we're going to have to stop here, but this is fascinating. And, and uh, I, I want to thank uh, Gary Stevenson. Thank you for joining us on this Behind the Business podcast. It's been fantastic to hear from you. It's a pleasure, David. I've enjoyed it. Thank you very much. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this podcast from FDF Scotland. You can find out more about our work and, if you're a food and drink business, how to join us at www.fdfscotland.org.uk.